another episode of the Horizon Roundtable. I am Bob McDonald, and uh, joining me instead of uh, Matt Dudek, who you can usually find on Twitter at Horizon John, is John Parker. I'm sorry. I said Horizon. It's supposed to be Horizon Matt. You're Horizon John. <laughs> I keep doing that too, man. You guys, you guys get to confuse me throughout the season. And it's going to be my own fault because I don't pay attention. So, but welcome, John. Thank you. And of course, you could the the the, the podcast Twitter account, of course, never changes. It's Horizon RT. Uh, you can find us on the web at horizonroundtable.com, and you can be sure to subscribe to us wherever podcasts are found. And and John, I really wanted to get this guy on because I he is the because he is the last Milwaukee player to be named Horizon League Player of the Year. And considering we potentially have another Horizon League Player of the Year coming out of Milwaukee. Can't imagine who that could be. Um, definitely want to sit down and have a conversation with him. Uh, Ed McCants, thank you very much for joining us. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Um, look forward to speaking to you guys today and on into the future as the season progresses and as the storyline continues to develop it there in Milwaukee. Yeah. So I'm glad we brought you on. Obviously, you have a long and proud history uh, in the in the Horizon League lore, but I actually want to talk to you about some of the things you're doing currently. I know that you have your own YouTube channel. Tell us a little bit about that. I know you got a couple of things going on on YouTube. Yeah, I just started it up, you know, back in my day. I can say that now. I'm, I'm 40. Uh, but back in my day, social media was like the devil. Like, you stay away from it. There's nothing really good that can come from it. Maintain your privacy. Let the media do what they do, and you got to be cautious of that. You just kind of – you didn't want your name in the media all the time necessarily, and now everyone has a page, and I'm really disappointed overall, like in the content and the validity. I think there's some some really bad content out there that's not really talking about the logistics of basketball and what it really entails to make it be a good player and ultimately play on a professional level. So a lot of misconceptions. So having – being forced to talk all the time because I'm a psychology professor now. Um, I was like, oh, mate, you know, I'm just going to start sharing my ideas as a hobby. And more of my friends are always giving me ideas and trying to hype me up about stuff. But I've been rather reserved. Um, but yeah, I'm going to try to been picking that up and trying to get more. Sure, sure. Um, yeah, I know. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned. I'm actually very glad you mentioned the uh, the psychology professor thing. I know that you are, and that's you're at the Marion Technical College, correct? Yes, sir. Yep, my second year. Okay. Yeah. So I, I guess uh, you know before we kind of get into a little bit more of that, tell us a little bit because obviously uh, I'm I'm fascinated by these sorts of things. Um, tell me a little bit about kind of your transit, you know that that transition into academia, um, if you could. Well, you know as you know, may or may not know, I began my career at Northwestern. I was a really good high school student. Um, you know, I was president of the chess clubs, senior class president. So when I transferred to Milwaukee, um, it was really, really important to me to try to compensate for the drop educationally from the number one school in the country in 2000 to Milwaukee, which is the upper tier, but they're not, you know, the, the Ivy League caliber school like Northwestern, Harvard, et cetera. Um, so I just decided to take on a challenge and take on the most reputable thing they had to offer, which was psychology. And I just fell in love with it. I fell in love with the aspects of psychology that you can use in life, how to self-reflect, be objective, um, you know, and maintaining an even keel on the court, you know. So those types of things really resonated with me personally. And 
after going back to school and getting my master's degree, I was just like, you know, I, I love to be a psychologist, but I wanted to, I want to coach eventually, but I wanted to be respected in academia per se, then respected in coaching and then teach on the side. I want to be a accredited tenured professor before I, you know, engulf on any of those other aspirations athletically. So just trying to prove myself in the field and I'm happy to be back in academia. You know, a lot, our future is in really good hands. These kids are so smart. They're so receptive. And, you know, I'm just at one of the two year schools. So um, just looking forward to working with the youth and the young minds of America. So it's, it's been fun. Sure. Um, and, and one other thing, you know, one other kind of, cause you've never really got, you've always had your hand, you've always been involved in basketball in some way, shape or form. Um, especially after you left, uh, after you left playing uh, your playing days and tell me a little bit about kind of, uh, kind of the work you did do on that front. Uh, probably in about 2010, I know me and a friend of mine, we started up a program called hidden gems. Um, probably helped more than 300 kids get scholarships on various levels. Um, some type of money down in AIA or division three, you may have partials. Um, but a lot of kids we've been able to help and it's been precipitated just around Hidden gems. I, I was in the Sports Illustrated as one of the top five hidden gems you may not have heard of before the tournament. And we ran with that name and it kind of symbolizes just keeping keeping your foot to the metal and working hard, um, regardless of rankings or what people may want to say, where you stand in your class. Just keep putting in that hard work and eventually, you know, you'll become a diamond. You'll become a top prospect. You know, if you put in the work, you know, might not be drafted first in the NBA, but you know, you'll have a, you'll have a good career. You get the most out of what you can do. Um, so that's probably pretty much been the premise of hidden gems. Now I've kind of gotten more on the national scene. I have a fourth grade daughter, um, who I've been totally, I'm that crazy dad that has their kid in the gym all the time, but she loves it. She really, really likes it. But we started when she was like three because her mom's five, one, I was scared. She's going to be short. She's actually pretty tall. Um, but just my fear, I was like, she's going to have to be able to handle the ball. Um, so I kind of got into the girls realm and now I'm just observing and publishing my thoughts as it relates to rankings, team rankings, you know, based on score spreads and different tournaments, et cetera. So now we're actually going to be venturing into the made hoops league, just kind of interested in what's going on in the girls world. I've never had the time to really get fully engulfed into the girls, uh, landscape, um, you know, you obviously you support girls athletics when you can um, when I'm in college and high school and professionally, but we travel a lot, too. Um, but now I'm able to really see, like, where are the where are the best players at? And it's really fascinating because in girls basketball, the only difference is dunking. These girls are smart. They're high IQ. They pick up the game. Um, you know, so it's just been fun. So I'm looking forward to getting to the made hoops league and seeing some of the best fifth and sixth grade teams on the East coast. I have some of the best girls all around Ohio um, that I've evaluated, put through training camp. Um, and they actually played up in a league, they're sixth graders. So they played up in the GBA elite league here in central Ohio when they were able to win against the seventh graders, they finished 10 and one, I believe. So they're, you know, I think they're going to be really, really good players. They're really, really dedicated, good family. So just doing what I can for Ohio girls recruiting at the moment. And, probably have eyes on the East coast after long, after I've made some more observations. So. Okay. Great. Um, so I'm going to, so kind of, I wanted to talk to obviously since again, you, you, you're, 
your experience in the Horizon League, you know, you were you were part of the last I you know, last team not named Butler to to make it to the Sweet huh. Sixteen. <laughs> um, I know. <laughs> and we don't ever mention Butler on here because they're not here anymore. But Milwaukee is. <laughs> Hey, but hats um, off to Butler, man. That that see, Butler is a good testament to the quality of play in the Horizon League. Um, other conferences, every time you get a dominant team for a little while, a bigger conference steals them. So yeah. you know, there it's right there on that horizon of mid major to high that high major jump. So you know, rightfully so for Butler. You know, we should congratulate yeah. them and be proud of them moving on. But we can hate them because they're not with us anymore too. But, yeah, <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's it's funny you mention that because if you obviously with in the last the last couple of months you we've seen so much outside of the Horizon League have seen so much movement um, with t with schools going to different conferences and everything and and, and as obviously as a Horizon League fan you always wonder okay when is the when is the shoe when is the other shoe going to drop um, yeah but. But it makes sense, uh, you know. I, but we we've gotten so conditioned with that, you know, starting with Butler and then with, you know, with Valpo and um, you know everybody else who's left the horizon, you know, kind of. And I, I've over for at least a few years, I always considered the Horizon League kind of the, you know, what what the Atlantic Sun used to be, which is kind of that way station for mid majors to go off to somewhere else. Um, yep. And I, it's funny because now we are. It's funny because when you look at the the makeup of the Horizon League now, um, it, it's more centralized. Whereas you know all the rest of these conferences have basically just fanned out into you know various regions in the country. And I don't know if that. And I really don't know if that's good. You know what what the future holds. Obviously, but you know. It's, yeah, it's, if if you can get in, it's hard to say no sometimes because of that strength yeah. of schedule. So and there's a lot more money, a lot more TV exposure, um, although the Horizon League with their network and everything else, they're kind of still climbing up a little bit. So that, I think that's the one thing I liked about the Horizon League was that it was like it was probably what I felt was the high major of mid majors. And that's kind of an unfortunate spot to be <laughs> as you've related to. So, yeah. And then somewhere along somewhere in the last decade, everybody caught up with us and surpassed us <laughs> yeah which, yep. which actually brings us to the beginning of the season because we are now in we have now are, have games that count um and we're now you know we it, we are now in the well healed into the into the non-conference slate um and i i know before we started before we started the podcast we were having a little bit of a conversation about kind of the dynamic that the horizon league and other mid-majors for that matter have in terms of the non-conference scheduling that the high majors kind of, which is considerably different than a high major. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I, I, you know, you alluded to that and, you know, I'd love for you to kind of elaborate on your, your original thoughts that nobody heard because I didn't, wasn't recording because I. Yeah. It's all good. <laughs> yeah. The reality of the reality of the non-conference schedule for mid-major schools is very different than high majors. High majors use preseason to warm up, fine tune their players, um, get some guys some reps and some minutes in there, but really look at your bench. Try to see who's going to fill out the end of that bench and who plays well in that preseason period, that early non-conference period, should we say. Um, in the Horizon League and these mid-major schools, that's our opportunity to build our resume. 
um, we're going to get beat down as it relates to how many bids we're going to get. We're a one bid conference. Okay. Horizon League very seldom gets two bids. Even in the years we were really good and when Butler was really good and they made it all the way to the final four, they're cutting the deck on us. So for that matter, it makes that much more of a dogfight in conference, but you have to handle your business in that non-conference schedule. So you may have to take on early on in your season. We don't have the liberty to get warmed up like the bigger schools. We may just have to take one of those games that a Florida may be looking at us like, oh, this is a good warm-up game for us. For Horizon League, for mid-major guys, that's our opportunity to get a good win on the schedule for the NCAA committee. True. Well, you know who didn't treat who, who thought this might be a warm up and wasn't Oklahoma State. <laughs> Who'd they get popped by? That would be Oakland. Mm. Yeah, that was probably our only good quality non conference win. Everyone else got beat yeah. pretty bad, but for Oakland, that's very good. Now they just have to pr- play pray that Oklahoma State finishes towards the top of their conference and that becomes a quality win. So, yeah, that can, I, that can end up well, being a good situation. The, the funny thing about Oklahoma State, of course, is the fact that they the NCAA basically said you are not allowed to be in the you're, – you're banned from the postseason. So, oh, I, us going into – so, most of us looking at that game – and, by the way, Cleveland State also plays Oklahoma State in December. So, looking forward to seeing that. But – what we were all kind of collectively thinking is, okay, here's a pissed off Oklahoma State team. They're looking at Oakland, and I don't know if I want to see the end of that. <laughs> Turns out I was wrong. <laughs> and that's yeah. Issue. And it's funny because, you know, when you look at Oakland's scheduling, to your point, Oakland's, Greg Campy has his has prided himself on, you know, getting the – getting all these high major teams on his schedule, um, you know, for, for, you know, one way or another. And that's kind of what he did. You know, he started the season, they started the season at West Virginia. Um, they, you know, they kind of, the turnovers were an issue for them <laughs> in yep. that game, but they stayed, they stayed in the game by and large. They didn't get, you know, completely blown out, which is good. Um, and then they turn around and go to Oklahoma State, and all those kind of turnover issues were, you know, they 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 kind of disappeared. Jalen Moore played it, uh, you know, Jalen Moore played an amazing game. Jamal Kane, the Marquette transfer, he is looking as good as advertised. Um, yep. So yeah, those are those are some definitely. When you look at, we always have a question about Oakland, and my question in the off season with Oakland was. They, because they're they're in terms of their size, they're not you know they're not a big team. They're not they don't have a lot of you know large you know bigger guys over six eight. Most of their guys are within that that six five. They got a bunch of guys within that six five to six seven range. And when you looked at them against Oakland, you didn't I mean, Oklahoma State that size disadvantage. I thought they might have didn't materialize. And I'm beginning to think you know when you look at that. When you look at Oakland and you think, you know, and a lot of a lot of us had them pick to finish, you know, in the middle of the pack of the Horizon League. And, you know, I know we're only two games in, but I'm thinking, you know, maybe we were wrong. Yeah, I'm going to tell you a little bit about the coaches and what they're thinking. Sure. The head coach is a uh, has been pretty strong. Um, 
historically. And I know one of my assistant coaches is now Oakland, Coach Tony Jones. So he's very familiar with what needs to be done pre or non-conference schedule-wise um, to get that automatic bid. I think with those coaches, knowing the types of players that they want, um, I, I think I think there'll be a dark horse. I, I, I think, think that's going to be be a very dangerous team, and I would expect them to finish in the top three and contend for that championship just based on how they are playing against these really good non-conference teams. Um, you know, regardless of Oklahoma State's fate, ultimately that's a high major program um, for a Horizon League team to be beating them or even be in the game says a lot about what they're doing over there. So I, I would expect Oakland to be very strong in the conference. I wouldn't even. I don't even think they'll be middle of the pack. We can vent, we can quote me on that, and we'll take a look at it later. There you but go. I think they'll be strong this year. Sure. Yeah. I. I. Yeah. I mean, like I said, I know we're only two games in, but the the two games that they've, you know, the two games that they played. I mean, yeah, they're going to probably have, you know, like any uh, like anybody else in the Horizon League, they're going to have some, you know, games where they're going to kind of severely underperform. But I mean. To go into and by and you know I know Greg Campy at the uh, you know in post game he had mentioned you know the, how hostile that environment is in, in in Stillwater. I mean that is a very tough place to play. Yeah. Um, even under normal circumstances. Um, yeah. And, and for them to you know come out of there with a win, I mean even beyond the circumstances of what Oklahoma State is dealing with, you know, with the NCAA and everything, you, you still favored them considerably and 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 Oakland kind of rose above the occasion and it seems to me that this is kind of a this is kind of and we've seen Oakland do this over the years where they've had these these games against the high majors where some of them you know like the beginning of last year when they started against Xavier that ended terribly and then they turn around you know a little later on and I think it was what Michigan was it that they played close and it's an interesting uh, yeah it's an interesting dynamic with them so i'm going to be looking i'm interested in seeing kind of how they look moving forward um that yeah oakland was kind of the highlight of the of the of the weekend the other one actually surprisingly enough was youngstown state um specifically against uh, southeast missouri state they went into missouri and and beat them pretty handily and that was kind of an impressive win for Youngstown State. I don't know where I don't know where SEMO is in terms of, you know, where they're going to be ranked in the Ohio Valley Conference. But, yeah, that second half was really dominant. And one of the things that stood out to me from that game was the emergence of Tevin Olison, uh, the kid from the University of the Cumberlands, one of the NAIA. He's an NAIA kid. He, you know, he decided to, you know, bet on himself and transfer up to D1 to Youngstown State. And he did amazing. He scored 27 points in that game. NAI One of five. Yeah. NAI is good basketball. It showed. I mean, it really, yes. It, 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 it's funny because, you know, the, the way that Jared Calhoun built that team 
this team post Darius Quisenberry, post Nas Bohannon, is he basically went into a lot of these. He basically went into some of these non D1 T schools. Uh, see, he he looked kind of at the non D1 ranks and see you know who was in, who was going to be fit within that system, and then added a couple of other people. Uh, obviously, a couple of true freshmen in there, uh, Luke Chacon, uh, the kid out of Mentor. Um, he, he's been he's kind of been, he. I haven't seen a lot of him, but the, what I have seen of him the last, during uh, the first couple of games for Youngstown State has been pretty good. But yeah, yeah I mean, and and add that add those new elements into kind of the mix of a Michael Lacuche and Garrett Covington, who basically picked up where they left off last year. Um, and, and I say, and, and Youngstown State may kind of be in the same boat as honestly, they may be kind of in the same boat as as Oakland in terms of surprising some people in the conference. Yep. yep, it's going to be interesting. They're another team that's going to make it very interesting this season. Did you get an opportunity to check Milwaukee out? The game is on ESPN+. Plus. Yeah, um, so that one, that last game, man, I don't know. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so uh, the first game, I, I, they have some, to me, I think, the, I think they suffered from a couple losses. Obviously, Jordan Latham was out. Yeah, um, point guard was out. Yeah, uh, Tafari Sims was out. Um, oh, crud. Uh, Sam McCain, he got hurt during that game, too. Um, they were down They were down by, like, double digits during that game. They only lost by six, but, I mean. It wasn't pretty. We were definitely down 30 almost. Yeah. Um, I think it got to 24 or 25, maybe once or twice. Um. We just got we got to shake this coin of being the comeback kids. I don't like that. Yeah. Um, but you're so you know, good at it. Yeah, you don't want to be good at that. You want to be. <laughs> you don't. You don't really want to be have experience coming back from twenty every night. Um, no. They. You know, it was just like there was a lack of urgency there. And Patrick Baldwin. Patrick Baldwin is younger. He's a freshman, so can't really lie on his shoulders to get the team pumped up. Like coming, I, I didn't like specifically one point in the game as, as a Milwaukee guy. It's okay to come out, go into the half down 15. You're going to have bad halves. That happens in basketball. You got to regroup. You got to refocus. Okay. When we came out of the half, we just didn't have a sense of urgency. We gave up three offensive rebounds and they kicked it out to the corner for a three in our home court in our first home game. That to me smells really bad. Um, at the end of the day, it's a bad way to start a half coming down 15. You should be pumped up. There, somebody should be getting a foul. That's yeah. how hard guys should be playing. So we we just didn't have that urgency. So I, I'm wondering, you know, you know, who's going to take the reins as the leader? Who's the emotional leader of this team? Where what are the senior are the seniors going to step up? You know, that's really what we need right now: a senior leadership. PBJ is a is an animal. He's a pro guy. He's an NBA player. We all can see that. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to know that he can get his. Yeah. But we also got to find ways to manufacture shots for this guy. Yeah. I didn't see him coming off any screens. I didn't see any deliberate post-ups outside of him just being 6'8". Uh, he can post up anywhere on the floor immediately, um, which makes him a threat. But that's not an offense. That's not. That's him just being a pro. That's him being an NBA player. Um, very good NBA player. <laughs> at that but lottery pick still predicted as a lottery pick yeah i mean and he's proving it but we can get a lot more um you know out of him and off of him 
Like you should be able to, he's going to be a guy that's going to attract the double teams. Guys have to be ready to finish, be ready to go hard and sell out. And we have a very successful year. Um, But yeah, I just didn't see that urgency last night. So hopefully we'll get that together and it could be youth and inexperience injuries, but we still got to find ways. So. I know one of the questions we had in the off season with Milwaukee was their play at the point. And I think the, the, the absence of Jordan Layton, who was, who ran the, who was, uh, who was projected to be the point guard um, kind of hurts them considerably. I think we were, I think we hurt uh, a little deeper than that. You want to go some root cause analysis months before we lost Tejon. Um, yeah. I feel like a guy like Tejon, I mean, you got a returning all-conference guy. I think he was on second team. Yeah. Um, maybe maybe he snuck on the bottom of the first team. But I think he was second team for sure at some point. But guy just plays really consistent. He's experienced. He handles the ball. He was improving. He's a bigger, thicker guard. He's explosive and athletic. He's a perfect guy to trust the ball being in his hands to run uh, Patrick Baldwin Jr. off staggers and be able to facilitate. Um, you just can't replace that. I mean, we can we can have high hopes for any guy coming in, but we all know that you just can't replace an all-conference guy coming back. We know they're impact players. Um, so we lost one of the most impactful, maybe the maybe the most impactful point guard in the league. Um, that hurts. That I think would have helped to set us apart. I actually talked to Tay John. I, did he end up going to BYU? Was it? Oh, we'll talk about Tejon a little later because he we saw him because uh, I saw him earlier this week because BYU played Cleveland State. Oh, you ran into him? We'll we'll, we'll talk a bit about we'll talk about Tejon a little later um, about uh, about that game because that was a uh, that was a uh, about the Cleveland because uh, uh, Cleveland State went into uh, Provo and played BYU. Provo, another you know a, another really hard place to play if you're if you're a road team um but yeah he's i he t- he kind of it's because he was uh he was definitely involved he you know he's kind of i think he's kind of offensively with that team i think he's kind of still easing in um and only because they have so many other weapons because they yep. get they have BYU has so many other weapons. I mean, they're picked to finish second in the in the West in the in the West Coast Conference, right behind Gonzaga. So that's kind of if you you know that that kind of tells you how how good you have to be to be you know kind of going trying to go toe to toe with a Gonzaga, you know, especially twice a year. Um, Cleveland State, you know, they they went in, um, you know, they they kept it close the whole entire game. Kind of ran out of gas at the end of the kind of ran out of the gas there at the end. Uh, ended up losing by ten, um, and then of course had to turn around and play Ohio. Um, I, I guess my only my only my only thought about that is at least they didn't you know at least Ohio didn't you know, go on a forty point run this year. So yay progress. <laughs> State, I think Cleveland State's biggest. Uh, Looking at the first, it's and they only Cleveland uh, OU. And by the way, who beat Belmont too. Uh, pretty handily, um, so you know, oh, oh, th- that's a that's a really you know for Cleveland State you know that's that's a really <laughs> rough way to start your season with two two really high quality mid major teams <laughs> that are going to be really dangerous that were dangerous in the tournament last season and are probably going to do the same thing this season. Yep. Yep. I would have rather they not, uh, uh, but yeah, I know. Cle- yeah, OU beat 
Cleveland State by 11. I don't know why. It just seemed like they were – it seemed like it was more than 11 the whole time. But Yeah, yeah it could have been a Milwaukee-type game. Yeah, I think that was kind of it. I don't know. I was, yeah, I was, I saw that's that's the game. I was, obviously, as a Cleveland State guy, was, that was the one I was paying most attention to, mostly because I know what happened last year with o, OU. <laughs> and I was yep. a little worried, but no, no, this is a. But yeah, I think Cleveland State. Yeah, with, with Cleveland State, I think your biggest problem is I think when the shots don't fall, you can have you know, and this has happened with them multiple times. Uh, they they and this was kind of the issue they had with at both with both BYU and against Ohio is that the shots weren't falling and they were having issues on the free throw line again. And that's kind of been a, that's been a kind of a signature issue with them early in the season for Cleveland State. I'm not worried about, you know, moving forward, but man, you hate to see it because <laughs> they were, yep. they were giving away points at the line with not being able to hit their free throws, which again is something I've I've seen multiple times with them before, and it's you know I know it will work itself out, but you know at the beginning of the season it doesn't make it less hurtful. Yep. <laughs> so. But yeah, as far as it, yeah, but yeah, but yeah, but yeah, I think uh, I think as far as fits go, you know, with what you know, with just based on the game I saw uh, again with Cleveland State and BYU, um, I think. Tijon is the guy who runs the runs it runs the point for them because they have so many different offensive weapons, both on the interior and and on the perimeter, because they were killing. I'm glad yep. we only have to play them once. Yeah, it's gonna be interesting to see how these storylines play out. Definitely be interesting. Um, I think we I think Milwaukee could contend at the top of the at the top of the league. Yeah. We'll see. You know, we'll see if it we definitely got to have a different team that came out there than the other night. So, sure. Now, the, the now you mentioned now the other thing you I would think, and I you know, it seems to me that you know you get Tijon Lucas is gone, but DeAndre Golson's still there, and to me, he seems like the the guy who would be that second scoring option for you for Milwaukee. And I know, you know, and maybe they, but again, I think they, they need more than that. I, it just seems to me that, you know, there, there's still a lot of question marks there. Cause you know, the, you have, the, you have obviously a Pat Powell, uh, Pat Powell Jr. Who's, I mean, he's already averaging a double, double, which is awesome for, you know, I know we're only two games in, but you know, that's still pretty phenomenal. Um, you have a DeAndre Golston who who has the ability. I mean, you have you have guys there. You still have Josh Thomas there. You still you know Vin Baker Jr. You know I I, I we don't talk about him at all because he was hurt all last season and he he's stepped up too. So, um, yeah. They, but still, there's kind of the questions of okay, you know, what is the off? What is this? They're, they're, I think they're still looking for an identity offensive offensively. I think your screensaver got the best of you again, Ed. <laughs> so, um, okay, you, here we go. There we go. Yeah, I think the screen. <laughs> yeah, that exact statement you just made about our identity. I sent yeah. a text to my teammate Joe Tucker, who I talked to during the games, after the games, every game. Um, 
And that was my exact state sentiments to him was, what is our identity? I was like, what are we trying to do? Uh, are we, because I, we had Patrick Baldwin Jr. and Golston, they were breaking the press. Yeah. I was like, we need to play fast. We even got a 10 second call one time. I was just like, what is our, what is going on? But towards the end, when we got down by a whole bunch, we started to push the ball. We got to see Josh Thomas. We got to see Golston. When we weren't doing that, it was all half court, go through PBJ, stand around, watch. Um, and that's just kind of how we played. I think um, you hit the nail on the head. We got to create an identity, and it needs to be one that gets all those pieces you just named involved. Once we do that, we're going to be a dangerous team. Um, sure. Until we get to that point and kind of cut those reins loose, um, it's going to be a long process. Well, hopefully not too long. Uh, the, the first conference games are coming up first weekend of December. Yeah, I mean it's right around the corner. We're in the season now, so yes, we are. You know they gotta they gotta grow. We gotta grow every game. Gotta grow throughout the season, and I'm sure every team is having these types of conversations as well. So, well, one Try team I know is yeah. One thing, one team I think is having a lot of questions right now is Detroit Mercy. Um, running it, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, why that Wyoming? Just watching the Wyoming game was painful. I mean, Who was it that got beat by Wisconsin by almost 40? Oh, that would be Green Bay. <laughs> Goodness gracious. <laughs> what? You don't yeah. see, you don't, I see Wisconsin smash people, but you don't usually see 30, 35 points, 40 point loss. That's, I'm pretty sure that's exactly what they did to them last year, too, if I'm not mistaken. I didn't man. see it this year because I'm not spending money on BTN Plus for three games. I'm just not doing it. I'll just take your word for it that they. Yeah, I saw that final score. I'm like, okay, that's problematic. Now, <laughs> is that not a uh, is that not a non conference schedule game? You would just want to take off your schedule, like whatever <laughs> they're getting, whatever their stipend is. Is it just worth it at any point anymore? I mean, seriously, yeah, uh, uh, it's funny too, but it's just like, yeah, I, like I'm sorry, what's it doing for us? The the connection the Ryan connection is probably not going anywhere on that one. So you're probably going to see Green Bay and, and Wisconsin on that schedule for years to come. Then if we're friends and we have a connection, you can't keep beating us by forty and fifty. Like I feel like that ruined our friendship. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, yeah, I I, but it's but it's yeah, it's it, it was interesting <laughs> because you because you didn't you didn't think that was going to happen. I know, you know, Green Bay lost to Indiana State in the first game, but you didn't think they were going to go into Madison and just and that have that happen, like at all. I mean, but but I guess no, that's the same thing that happened. I guess Madison is very. You're playing five on eight when you go to Madison. You got to know that. I yeah, I'm. No, I don't know that. There's yeah, no shortage of help in Madison. Um, for any team, any team that goes to Madison is going to have to problems. Only score thirty-four points. I, I don't think yeah, they were. Seems like they were getting their own. Yeah, you know, they didn't need any help. They were doing just fine on their own. Thank you very much. But yeah, that's yeah. That was a, that was a that looked like a very brutal game to watch. And again, unfortunately, since I since I did not do not have that extra BTN plus or whatever the heck big 10 network is trying to do to everybody that didn't happen. So, well, well, here's the thing is Wisconsin has all those trees and then they allow them to do these weird things that I've, I've seen it when I played in Northwestern and we played at Wisconsin. I've seen it when we played Milwaukee, we played at Wisconsin. They let them do these 
things where they almost hockey checking you the entire game. And they're just kind of like, yeah, I think that I think the other disadvantage, I'm glad you brought up the size of Wisconsin, which is like a thing for them since like, you know, for like the last 20 years. But you brought, I'm glad you brought that up because, you know, when you look at Green Bay's roster, it is not anywhere near as big as a Wisconsin, that Wisconsin team or any Wisconsin team for that matter. So that had to have been a huge disadvantage for them as well. Um, so that was that was not a pretty one. Like not even close. Although um, that actually wasn't the lead that uh, that was not. Yeah, that was not even the ugliest thing. Again, not even the ugliest thing I saw uh, because I didn't get to see it. No, the Detroit Wyoming game, the Detroit Mercy Wyoming game. Now that was ugly, ugly (laughs) and not helping matters. It looks like uh, Noel Waterman is out with a concussion, so we might not be seeing him for a while. Um. And man, nobody could get anything together. Uh, I mean, Antoine Davis, you know, he was having some, he was having major issues shooting. I mean, there, you want to talk about a lack of identity? Man, I don't know what is going on with Detroit Mercy at this point. Yeah, they had a meltdown. Yeah, it was, it was, yeah, that, that was, and at least I understand with Wisconsin because obviously they're, you know, they're perennially, you know, they're perennially, you know, competing in the Big Ten with, you know, Wyoming was picked to finish next to last in the Mountain West Conference. I think we're also going to see, how do you think the transfer portal is affecting everything? Because certain schools are obviously going to be more marketable as a final destination for fifth-year seniors and others. So it's kind of like the, the best teams are just getting super loaded. Are you think we're seeing that on the you know, on the higher major level in these non-conference games as well? Maybe I don't know. Um, you know what? I, I I really don't know. I mean, you know, again, to using the using the BYU, the T. John Lucas, um, you know, example with BYU, but BYU is, you know, sort of considered a mid-major, you know, in the, you know, they're sort of considered a mid-major. I mean, they're kind of on that cusp of not being one. Um but yeah, I think as far as some of these other schools are concerned, I mean, maybe, but then you look at kind of the dynamic with the Horizon League and, you know, in terms of the players that they lost, you know, yeah, Youngstown State lost, uh, you know, Nas Bohannon to, to Clemson and Darius Quisenberry to Fordham. Yeah. But, but you know, you look at a, you look at a Cleveland State. You look at Cleveland State, which you know, as, as you as you know, Cleveland State for at least a few years there was kind of a poster child for the transfer portal. They didn't really lose. They lost maybe they must lost you know, they lost one impact player in Alec Oglesby, and everybody else. You know, they brought more guys. They actually brought guys in. So I don't know if that's. A, and then you look at Wright State. I mean, they didn't. They didn't lose anybody. They didn't really lose anybody. You know, they they you know Jalen Hall left. You know, Loud and Love trans. Uh, you know, graduated, but they they kind of stayed the same as well. So I don't know. And if you look at Northern Kentucky, you know they 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 lost Adam Alita. They didn't lose anybody else. So I don't know. It's I think it's there's a dynamic. I, I think we've gotten specifically with the horizon. Like, I think we've gotten to the point where we've kind of, you know, it's kind of stabilized a little where you're not seeing as many players, you know, move higher up to the transfer port through the transfer portal. 
Um, yeah. And then so I'm, it might not be I'm not, that's, that might necessarily. And of course, I mentioned Wright State and Northern Kentucky. Both of them lost on Friday, too. And then on the flip side, you've got, you know, we've already talked about Jamal Kane. We've already talked about Tevin. Yeah. And so I think it's kind of. It seems like it's got the potential to balance out this year. Um, yeah. I mean, I think. There could be a lot of guys who just transferred in who are going to be, you know, instant impact, you know, if not all league guys. Exactly. And I think yeah. we're going to see a lot more of that. I mean, you you know, exam, a good example, you know, you know, Tevin Olson, great example of that. Uh, Jamal King, definitely a good example of that. And another good example, I think, is is Brock Finstone, who, by the way, transferred from Pacific, who saw saw BYU a couple of times a year, um, who's kind of made a really big, to me, you know, uh, specifically the way Dennis Gates coaches and that defensive-minded coaching that he has, yeah, I think Brock Finstone has really has been uh, the best fit in terms of the transfers that Cleveland State has had come in, in terms of impact. So I really think that that is going to play. You know, and, and you'll see. I think we'll see additional examples of that moving forward. Um, again, we're only two games into the season. I think uh, more of this is going to bear itself out as we move forward and as we move into the conference schedule. Well, I'll tell you what, guys, I got to I got to shake it here in a second. But I had one more question for you guys sure. before I got to get out of here. Absolutely. What are your predictions for Horizon League Player of the Year this year? Ooh. Wow. Uh, I was going to say, yeah, I, I had originally, predi- I already originally predicted Antoine Davis. Um, hopefully that's still true. Uh, he's had a rough go of it the first couple of games, but I, I'm still sticking with, I'm still sticking with Antoine Davis. It's okay. Don't, don't judge the games from the start too heavily. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean, last- my senior year, I believe I got player of the year and I was only shooting. If you check the first six games. You'd be upset with yourself if you picked me to be preseason player of the year. <laughs> um, yeah. It wasn't until we went to Kansas, to Kansas, and then out of nowhere, I had 26 points and never looked back. So it was just, I guess, getting the motor going, getting that, getting your feet under you a little bit for the season. I was seeing some new double teams, so he could be seeing some coverage things, and he'll settle in. He'll probably settle in. Um, but after that, you know, it was 26, 38, 25. Just started go. reeling them off. And they're like, the oh, okay, thing, he's back. Here he is. I think the big thing with Antoine Davis is going to be how the team performs. I think the biggest yep. strike against Antoine has always been where Detroit Mercy finishes in the standings. Yep. And if they're if they end up becoming a bottom half team, I cannot make an argument for him. And that's that's probably that was kind of my mindset was I knew that my team had to finish first. I know when I got Player of the Year, I averaged seventeen points a game. People probably are thinking, well, he. Probably could average more. I was like, but yeah, what avail? Am I gonna yeah. am I gonna lose a game? You know, or we is it does it get us out of our rotation? I have to guard, I was guarding the best player for every team. So if you look at our minutes, I was only playing like 27, 28 minutes because I'm also scoring at this efficient level, but I'm having to defend the other team's best player and keep them slowing down, try to keep them below their average for the night. Um yeah. so that was you know, that was always a big thing to me was proving you could play both sides of the ball and trying to make sure your team was at the top of the league and you have the award. I think that'd be the biggest issue. I think Patrick Baldwin Jr. could be the first guy to overcome that. Um, Because I think if he can just average 25, 26, 27 all year, we'll see if he can do that. If you can average 25 points a game in your conference, 
I, you got my vote. Even if you were third to last, like you have my vote. I mean, I guess you can always say, well, he got, you just going to get to shoot whatever. You don't got to worry about if you win or lose. And that can weigh in some coaches' minds too. But I think he's so good. Especially if your coach happens to be your dad. Yeah, right. Right. But and I think that, he's that, so that good. Actually applies, and funny enough, that actually applies to Pat Baldwin Jr. and Antoine Davis. <laughs> yeah. So Davis played for his dad too? Yeah. Yeah, Mike Davis. Oh, I didn't yeah. know that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I thought McCullum. I thought McCullum was the last ones. Nope. Was nope, the nope, McCullum? Nope. Yep. Ray. Ray and Ray Jr. Yep. And uh, Detroit Mercy decided. Uh, yeah. Let's do this again with uh, Mike Davis and Antoine. <laughs> so Ed, thank you very. Yeah, I know you got to go. Thank you very much for joining us. Uh, tell everybody where you can find you online. Um, on Twitter. My yes. Twitter is at Edward McCants MS. Um, my Instagram is All American Watch List. You can find me on Facebook at Edward Thomas McCanns as well. Okay, great. All right, and that's going to wrap it up for us. Um, again, HorizonTheRoundTable.com. Um, our, our writers have been cranking out things like crazy, so you definitely want to go on there, get all of our articles, all of our uh, past episodes, and you can find us uh, wherever podcasts are found. And, of course, you can pull us up on your Amazon or Google devices. Uh, tune in next week. I don't know what we're doing next week, John, but I'm sure it's going to be something cool. So until then, thank you all for listening.